This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. After nearly 20 years, Ken Mata, the election security director for Arizona, has retired. He worked under both Republicans and Democrats and oversaw 32 elections. He ran nearly 203,000 test ballots to verify the accuracy of equipment and ensured the accuracy of election machines. Now Ken has moved into the private sector. His new election-related position offered a pay increase that he says far eclipsed his state salary, and this move comes just months before the 2022 midterm elections. Welcome to The Gaggle, a politics podcast by the Arizona Republic and AZ Central. We speak with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic. In today's episode, we're joined by Ken Mata. We'll talk about his tenure as an election security officer, what he saw during his years of service, and why he trusts our elections procedures. Ken, thanks for joining us. Hi, you're welcome. So let's go ahead and start with the big question. Do you think our elections will be secure this fall for the midterm elections? And do you have any sorts of concerns about election security and integrity as we enter this election season? The elections will be secure in the midterms. I promise you that. There's a lot of good people doing a lot of good work to make sure that happened and happened. We haven't changed our playbook too much. We have more emphasis on physical security now, more information on what I call objective reality security, or in other words, public information security. So it's only been improved. We've got a good outlook for the upcoming elections. Let's talk about some of those changes that have been made and such. Technology evolved over the course of your career with the Secretary of State's office. Give our listeners a sense of what that meant, how things evolved and and how that has strengthened security measures in your view. That's a really great question. Thank you. Uh, First, I want to say that an election from a security point of view is when all interested parties work together to tabulate ballots and votes in a controlled environment using rules created and modified over centuries, specifically designed to eliminate fraud. So, like I say, we've got lots of experience doing elections in this country. There's been thousands of really, really smart people getting their heads together and working hard to make sure that fraud can't happen. This is not a new science. A lot of our security is procedural security, such as just sub-audit procedures, all these policies. For instance, when handling ballots, there has to be two people involved, preferably from opposite parties. When handling election equipment, the same thing. We use the principles of least privileged access, meaning people that don't need to touch something, can't touch something. 
there are just so many of these what we call procedural security points in statute in the procedures manual that's what i wish the public knew is that there's these layers of security so when somebody tells you that 20,000 ballots were inserted into the process somewhere from china you can rest assured that didn't happen we have so many so many things in place to make sure those kind of things don't happen when you talk about election security from a technology standpoint. Just can you give us like a simple explanation of what that means? So a lot of the rules that have been created around election security, a lot of these policies are technology independent. It didn't matter whether we were voting on paper and putting them in a ballot box or pulling levers or punch cards or new electronic equipment. We have a lot of cyber defenses now. We have a lot of things in place. But the important thing to remember is that we've got all of these other physical policies in place. So let's talk about cyber for a minute. There's two types of systems, of electronic systems that elections uses. There's our election management systems where we actually tabulate votes. These control the elections. These systems are air-gapped. They're not connected to any network in Arizona by law. It has been that way for a very long time. As well, these systems have full paper backups. In other words, a voter verifiable paper trail so that the voter can see their vote being cast. And we have uh, an audit trail to go back to and actually count. So we're not going to totally rely on the machines, but those machines are also virtually impossible to get at. The probability of those systems being hacked or being accessed improperly is very small. The most probable way that can happen is through insider threat, um, as we've seen in other places, like in Colorado, where an election worker misled or misguided allows other parties to have access to that equipment. The other type of equipment is our office equipment. Just um, in an election office, like most offices, they have computers. They're connected to the internet because they surf and they check their email. Those systems, um, of course, by nature are more apt to have a security problem. However, you can't change a vote through those systems. Keep in mind the systems that tabulate votes are air-gapped. So it's important to make those distinctions. If you see a headline that says so-and-so county elections was hacked, you have to think to yourself, was that their office network? Because that's really not the same thing. So speaking of the technology question, we saw coming out of the 2020 election a lot of suspicion around the Dominion tabulation machines and such. You've talked about equipment not being connected to networks and the internet and such. Do you have confidence that the manufacturer, that the people associated with those machines, the people who work with them with the Secretary of State's offices or the county recorder's offices around the states, that they are not able to fiddle with the tabulation as it's being done? Right. How the equipment is set up and used is in the hands of the elections departments in the different counties. We see some of our counties, like Maricopa County in particular, before the 2020 election, had arranged their tabulation center in a way that there would be no question that those machines were not connected to the Internet. They put the servers in a glass room with 360-degree access so you could walk around and see the entire system the cables, they used what we call overt wiring, meaning that all of the cables that came out of that system and go to, say, their scanning equipment 
or their electronic adjudication stations. You can follow those wires along the whole path. They never disappear into a wall. They don't go anywhere. They hang them on racks in the ceiling, and they're all color-coded. So anybody can walk around and make sure that that system is not connected to the Internet. The 360-degree access to it makes sure that you can see there's no wireless equipment attached to that network. Were they always set up that way, or was that a deliberate setup in the wake of criticism uh, of those machines? No, they've, they were set up that way starting a few years before the 2020 election. Maricopa County is very serious about security. The building is locked down like you wouldn't believe. So one of the other things we've heard a lot of in, in recent years is international interference, specifically from Russia, but some have pointed to China or other countries, Iran and such, as being suspected of election interference. Give us a sense of how real that threat is and how worried anybody in Arizona should be about that actually affecting the outcome in Arizona elections. Another great question. Well, we were warned from our intelligence agencies, from federal agencies, before the 2020 election, before the 2018 election, that foreign interference could be an issue in the election. The most probable way that would happen is through a campaign of misinformation, uh, disinformation, and malinformation, um, creating a, a sense of insecurity about our elections. So, as it turns out, it's you know, in this person's humble opinion, it's not the foreign actors that we need to be most concerned about right now. We did not realize the scope that that threat would rise to from our own domestic actors. It's actually Americans that are throwing elections under the bus in, in a scale we we could not have imagined, a scale we've never seen before. It's a tragedy. Other than that, as I said, somebody, anybody in the world being able to hack into one of our election management systems is very, very highly unlikely because those systems are air-gapped. So Ron asked you about potential international interference. You have invoked the potential for insider interference. How concerned are you about the threat coming from inside the building in 2022? Well, insider threat is my major concern for upcoming elections. There's a large percentage of the public in the United States that believes the election was stolen. As attrition happens through our election offices across the country, because election workers are not really well paid, they're working in a, in a very toxic environment right now. They work against threats and hatred. A lot of election workers I've met don't even like to publicly state what they do for a living anymore. It used to be a point of pride. So as election workers are exiting across the United States, we're even having problems finding poll workers to fill those spots. A lot of those positions in our election industry are going to be filled by people that are election deniers or conspiracy theorists. That could be a problem. These are people who may not have the defense of democracy in mind. What sort of procedures are in place, if any, to prevent highly partisan conspiratorial minded people from taking a position as a volunteer or an election worker? So we are only now developing those policies. Um, we're working with our federal partners, such as CISA, who's developing guidance on that very thing. So this is kind of a new science for us, for the community. We don't have solid policies in place right now to defend against that. You've spent just shy of 20 years in election security, and you are now in the private 
sector. Why did you decide to hang your hat up? Well, I got a great offer from a great company. That's my primary concern. The private sector, turns out, can pay much better than the public sector can for doing this kind of work. However, you know, it, it does weigh into everybody's consideration that's leaving, I'm sure, that right now it's really a good time to get out of elections. I hear that a lot in the community. That was not my major concern, but it is, it is a factor. You wrote in a very lengthy Twitter thread that caught all of our attention that you oversaw more than 30 elections. You ran over 200,000 test ballots during your tenure. You also mentioned that you encountered some fraud here and there. Can you explain what that type of fraud was? Certainly. Every election, we see one or two cases of election fraud. And in almost every case, this is perhaps an elderly person who votes for their deceased partner or uh, somebody who's snowboarding. We see this a lot in Arizona who votes in their other home where they live and also votes in Arizona. These are just one-off cases, and uh, we see them all the time. It's never enough to throw an election. Oftentimes, uh, these people aren't even fully prosecuted because they really didn't mean to. They may not even have the mental capacity to understand what they did in some cases. In your career, have you encountered anything that was more sinister than the kind of relatively small-scale, almost benign examples you just gave of what you would consider something that could have been election changing because of the scale of it, the intelligence brought to bear in trying to pull off something like that. Even if it didn't succeed, did you see something that suggested a massive attempt at fraud in your career? No, not at all. In light of your response, and every single election expert that we have spoke to has echoed your response, what do you make of the ongoing investigation of the 2020 elections by Attorney General Mark Burnovich? Well, I, uh, I don't believe that his recent report was in good faith. You know, the report kind of insinuated that prosecutions had begun. But if you look at the cases that are being prosecuted, it's those same small individual cases as I was speaking about before. There are no election workers, there's no election officers in Arizona that are going to catch a charge off this because no laws were broken. And that needs to be said publicly. It has been said, yet the investigation continues. As an election security officer with a lot of experience, how concerning is an investigation like this by the state's highest prosecutor? We have to realize that the MDM, the misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation, is generated by a political machine all across the country, not just Arizona. We happen to enjoy our, more than our share of that. If somebody, a citizen, believes that the election was stolen, they're making a political decision. They're not listening to trusted sources of information like county recorders, election directors, clean elections, the Secretary of State's office. They're not going to the professionals, to people that actually do elections, to find out how elections work or to find out what happened from the people that were actually there. They're listening to politicians and political pundits. I see this as the underlying problem and one that's really hard to fix. For every election, there is a winner, and if it's contested, there will also be a loser. Has the level of accusation of bad faith and fraud 
that kind of bad action, has that evolved in more recent cycles in a way that is completely different than what you saw 30 years ago? And what does that mean for you about public confidence, about elections moving forward? It's really hard to unring this bell. It saddens me to a great extent because I've worked with the good people in elections for a long time. It's a community of people. And I'm talking, you know, the people that secure elections are county recorders, election directors, communication directors, information technology and information security people, our intelligence agencies, law enforcement, local law enforcement. It's a giant effort by a lot of people to secure elections. These people are Americans. They're our family members. They're our neighbors. I meet people that would never dream of throwing an election themselves that are accusing other Americans of throwing an election. It's disheartening, and it's contagious. Conspiratorial thinking, it's widespread, it's out of control, and I I don't know how that comes back. I don't know what changes in our society where people will start listening to trusted sources of information again, and that's really what needs to happen. When did you start seeing an erosion of trust in our elections? I mean, I have a sense of when I first, as just as an observer, when I first sort of realized, oh my goodness, things are going off the rails when people can say anything and a large segment of the country will believe it. When did you start to see this trend happening? When our last president started speaking about election fraud and, and saying that the only way he wouldn't be elected was if the election was stolen, we all got a sense of it. We started in the election community, we started receiving information from our intelligence agencies that this could be a a big problem. We accepted that, we moved on, but it's not something that we can say out loud. The problem is that when we speak like that, myself as an election security officer, I stay neutral, I'm nonpartisan, I'm apolitical. But if I was to say, beware, beware, the President of the United States is going to throw elections under the bus. It's going to look like political speech. There was nobody willing to stand up and just shout that from the rooftops going forward. Could it have helped? I don't know. It possibly, we might have been able to prepare the public in a better way for what was coming. And maybe if it was more expected, uh, it wouldn't have had the impact that it had. So former President Donald Trump first started to claim election fraud that I can recall in 2018, as early ballots were still being counted in uh, some pretty tight races, including the U.S. Senate race, where Kirsten Sinema, the Democrat, was up against Martha McSally, the Republican. It took, I think, 10 days or so for those ballots to fully be counted. Sinema began gaining ground on McSally A couple of days after the election and by day five or six, Trump was claiming that a bunch of votes had been found in the wilderness and that uh, there was fraud happening in Arizona. That to me was pretty heart stopping moment. Do you recall that at all? Yes, I think everybody in the election community recalls that. And uh, that's the very thing that strikes fear in our hearts uh, that a, a politician at those levels of government can start making those claims. They have a lot of followers. How do you combat that? If you can't speak out about it, because it could be viewed as political speech, if you can only sort of work from the inside out, and uh, you have an officer 
in the Secretary of State's officer, who is partisan, who is a Democrat, and whose own speech could be viewed as partisan. What's the remedy? We are short on remedies. Uh, since the election, right after the election, a poll was taken. Just about 40% of Americans thought the election was stolen. About almost exactly a year later, the same pollster checked, and about 40% of the American public believes the election was stolen. We've been doing a monumental effort to get out public information, debunking, get out the real state of elections in the country. And it's not really making a dent in that particular metric because I think a lot of the people that want to believe that are locked in in a political sense, and that may not change. So uh, we do it anyway. Uh, you know, we are getting good at it. We understand the importance of pre-bunking instead of debunking, you know, getting out the information first. That's the all we have. We don't have the megaphone that a lot of the election deniers have. Unfortunately, there's been some really good studies on how uh, MDM travels. Masterson, working with Stanford, uh, did some studies about it, and they watched and mapped and explained how misinformation can start top-down and bottom-up, how the bottom-up information kind of simmers and festers until it's picked up by an influencer. A social media influencer all of a sudden makes that news, and it spreads like wildfire across the country. On the election side, we don't have an army of influencers. We, what we need is people. We need celebrities. We need sports figures. We need people whose opinions matter to be able to speak up for the integrity of elections and get the truth out there and not just repeat the same political rhetoric that's out there. Last year, we saw the extraordinary ballot review of Maricopa County's ballots as ordered by the state Senate. Did that process serve any productive end, in your view, to bolster confidence among those who might have been doubtful? Did it put on display best practices in the election security industry? Did it shed any new light meaningfully on how better to conduct elections for a county the size of Maricopa County? No, it, it only served to further the political narrative of a stolen election. I believe in my heart that's what it was designed for, and that's all that it accomplished. As an observer there, as somebody who's been around elections for a long time and knows how they worked. Myself and other observers were just appalled in a room full of a couple hundred people working on a supposed audit of an election. There was nobody there with election experience. There was nobody there that understood the, the data that they were looking at and trying to interpret. So we saw them just time and time again, misinterpreting what they saw, uh, labeling it as a, uh, as a problem and putting the information out there, which becomes malinformation, you know. Do you have a favorite example of something that the layperson could sort of understand quickly that if you know election security, you would never do this? Well, I'll, I'll give you an example. They open a box of ballots. Uh, they find eight and a half by 11 white pieces of paper with images of ballots on them. And they thought they had found the steel. They were going, why, do we, why are there copies of ballots in these boxes, and and you, you should have heard the chaos, the, the the fervor that was created around those ballots. And what they actually had found was UOCAVA ballots, which are sometimes uh, faxed in or transmitted through other means. 
and printed out. So those are uh, military and overseas voters, people that are out of our state that still have a right to vote here because they reside here. There was a great explanation of what those things were. They did not understand what they were. Those are uh, military and overseas voters, people that are out of our state that still have a right to vote here because they reside here. Uh, We saw them misinterpreting yellow spots on the ballots. Part of the printing process on ballots creates small yellow flakes in the ballots. Um, This is uh, a technical phenomenon that happens in the normal course of printing the ballots. They labeled this as a security feature on the ballots, and they were instructed their staff to look for this security feature and report any ballots that didn't have it. Of course, it's not a security feature. It's just a product of the natural printing of ballots. On your Twitter thread announcing your retirement from the Secretary of State's office, you described the enormous amount of pressure that election workers are under, including yourself. You received a lot of threats, and it got so bad that you began carrying a gun. Can you describe to us the types of threats that you faced and that your peers uh, face every day? It's been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of messages passed through our agency, none directed directly at me, but they are threatening our children. They're threatening our safety. Uh, We had a bomb threat uh, where we had to clear the Capitol out. So it goes on. It's, It's a lot. It's more than anybody working in our office or in any election office signed up for we came to count the votes in as fair a manner as possible. We, we did not come to be accosted by our fellow Americans. If uh, you're wondering why there's attrition in the industry right now, uh, again, it's, uh, that's, that's it. So, Ken, to be clear, you worked over 20 years under Democrats and Republicans. Currently, we have a Democratic Secretary of State, Katie Hobbs, who is also running for governor at the moment. Can you tell our listeners whether you saw anything by anybody in her office doing anything that seemed to you to be politicizing her administration of the elections, something that would have been unacceptable in cycles past? No, I I haven't noticed that. I think Secretary Hobbs has done a, a really good job at just administering the elections. Secretary Hobbs is a politician, of course. She has political opinions, as every Secretary of State has that I've worked under. But as far as the administration of elections go, Secretary Hobbs is as impartial affairs as they can with only concern for the voters. Looking ahead, Ken, what do you see as being at stake for Arizona and beyond if faith in our elections is not fully restored? I've been teaching about election security for some years now, and I always lead off with what's at stake What we're really protecting is public confidence in elections. Think about countries that don't have that confidence, usually, say, in South America or in third world nations, and look at the chaos that they're suffering. We need to have the confidence restored in this process. Uh, There's no reason why we don't have public confidence in this process right now. I fear for us as a country that this is not sustainable. If citizens don't believe that the people that they elected are the ones leading them, it could be anarchy, it could be chaos. Uh, We don't know what's down the pipe, but it it doesn't look good for this country. Dire consequences. (laughs) Ken, if people want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? 
Well, you can follow me at KenMata underscore AZ. Thanks so much. Thank you. That is it for today, Gaggle listeners. While we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. And I'm at Yvonne Winget. Today's episode was edited and produced by Kaylee Monahan. You can follow her at K-A-E-L-Y Monahan, M-O-N-A-H-A-N. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. Also, be sure to check out our other podcasts, such as Valley 101 and The Lab. Find them wherever you get this podcast. For The Gaggle, I'm Ron Hansen. We'll see you next week.